This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Worth Your Time podcast via video and audio. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm really excited to talk with my guest, um, Ellie Sanazaro. Make sure I'm saying your name right. Well, I, lo- I just looked down at your name here, and it says Ellen, and I was like, wait, I thought it was yes. Sorry. It, I go by both. And so this, my Google uh, brought it up as Ellen, but I go by Ellie, too. Okay. Well, Ellie, as I met you <laughs> online, yes. um, thank you so much for joining us today, Ellie. Um, I am excited to talk about your new book. Um, it's really cool. You have, I'm sure we're going to dig into all of that. But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you live, and all that good stuff. Sure. Um, well, like you said, I'm Ellie Sanazero, or as it says here, Ellen Sanazero. Um, and I live in St. Louis, Missouri. It's actually snowing really hard right now, which is very exciting. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's our first good snow of the year. I'm so excited. Um, and I have, I am mom to three kiddos. My oldest Rosalie is four and then my middle Leonie, she is two and a half. And then our little guy, Finn, he is one. He turned one in October and we, um, brought him into our family via adoption through an organization called the national down syndrome adoption network. So that's kind of the most basic, I don't know what else you want to know, but that's kind of in a nutshell. Well, I think first of all, you said you had three kids and then you're like, the oldest one is four. So (laughs) wow, that's a lot going on. It was was fast, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's never boring here. Yes, I'm sure. Well, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, so I sort of know how you're like. Oh, totally. (laughs) It's And my kids are not, they're not calm. So you know that. It's uh, wild, especially during a quarantine season. Oh, yeah. I'm amazed when I meet people whose kids are like totally calm because, yeah, mine are running all over the house, ready just yeah. for life to go back to normal. Yeah, I didn't get those uh, calm children, but that's okay. They, they're spirited. They have lots of personality. Yes, that's <laughs> lots of fun. Um, so, okay. So I had sort of known your story, you know, because we had connected on Instagram and I looked at your book, which I thought was really, really cool. And we'll get into that. But honestly, it wasn't until today that I started to dig into the story a little bit. And I was just, um, I thought it was so cool. So I would love, I know you've probably told it a million times, but could you just tell us the story of how you got where you are today, starting with, you know, when you were pregnant with your first child and and what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my husband and I, we started dating in high school. So we had planned to get married for like a long time. And so we were 23. We finally got married after dating six years. And then when we were 24, we were pregnant with our first child and we were so excited. You know, we'd been talking about baby names since we were like 17 years old. You know, we were just looking forward to this moment for such a long time. Um, And so when we went to the OBGYN, he said, hey, there's this new prenatal test. You can find out the gender early. All we have to do is take a little extra blood. We're taking your blood anyway. Do you want to do it? And we were like, yes, like we can find out the gender early. We can start calling this baby by its name. Um, 
we didn't even think because the test also, you know, is designed to identify certain like chromosomal anomalies. Um, but our doctor really didn't even talk to us very much about that. It was kind of like, yeah, it's going to test for genetic stuff, but you'll find out the gender early. And, um, you know, we were so young and no one in our family has a history of any sort of like genetic condition. And so it didn't even cross our minds that anything else would come up. We really were like, yes, sign us up because we want to find out the gender. And that was that. Um, and so the doctor told us, you know, he took my blood and he said, we'll probably have results in about 10 to 14 days. So expect a call from us in that timeline. And so we waited 14 days and we hadn't had a call. And, um, so I started calling the doctor's office and I called and I called and no one was returning my calls. Um, I wasn't getting a hold of anybody and another week passed by and I still hadn't heard back. And at that point I was like, so worried. Like I just told Scott, my husband, I'm like, something's going on. I don't, there's no other explanation why they're not like calling back or why we haven't gotten results yet. Um, and so finally one day I was like, had a random day off work and I was walking with my mom and, uh, got a call from my OBGYN's office and it was the nurse. And she said, um, Hey, I'm going to hand the phone to the doctor. And at that point I just knew because, um, typically mm -hmm. the nurse would go ahead and give results over the phone herself. But since she handed it to the doctor, I knew that something was wrong. And so he told me that the test that I had gotten had identified an extra chromosome. Um, he told me the name of a condition and basically said he didn't know much about it and that we'd have to talk to a genetic counselor. And that was that. He actually didn't tell me the gender or anything else. And so thankfully, because of the condition it was, I was able to figure out that it meant we were having a girl um, because it was related to the X chromosome. But um but yeah, I just went home and I Googled and um, found out that this basically meant that our child would likely have some developmental delays. They could have seizures. There were going to be some physical differences. Um, but I waited until Scott got home. And when he got home, I told him, we're having a girl and tried to let him have that moment. Um, but then pretty quickly, he figured out something was wrong. I started tearing up. And so we just spent the night like researching you know, this condition and trying to figure out what life was going to be like for our daughter. Um, and we were told that the test was over 99% accurate. So at this point, you know, we hadn't gotten any information really from the doctor. So we just were, you know, preparing to welcome a child with special needs into our family. Um, so fast forward a couple weeks and we got to meet with a genetic counselor and um, she told us that the test was pretty accurate, but it was not diagnostic. We would have to get an amniocentesis if we wanted to know for sure. And there's some risks associated with that. So we just said, no, we'll just wait until the baby's born. But we went through the next six months of pregnancy, just preparing to welcome a child with special needs into our family. And during that time, I feel like God really transformed our hearts. Um, we were still sad, honestly, the whole pregnancy. It just wasn't what we expected. Um, but we just felt like God had was working in our hearts and preparing us to parent this child. And we really felt like, you know what, God chose us to be her parents and he's going to supply us with everything we need, um, even though this is, you know, going to be challenging and not what we expected. So Rosie was born um, and uh, about a week later, we found out the test had been wrong and we were totally shocked, but really excited. <laughs> and we were just like, okay, the test was wrong. I guess we're not going to parent a child with special needs. Like we kind of thought that was that. Um, but a couple months after Rosalie was born, I still felt kind of like this nagging feeling of like, 
didn't God prepare us to parent a child with special needs? Like, didn't we both feel like he had like changed our hearts and all this stuff? And so I prayed about it. And then I talked to Scott. I had felt like maybe we're supposed to adopt a child with special needs. Like um, the idea had come like God had done all this work in our hearts. Maybe that was to get us to parent a child with special needs in a different way than we had expected, which we had expected to give birth to one. Um, And so I told Scott like, Hey, I feel like this is maybe what God's calling our family to. And he was like, Whoa, (laughs) like, I feel like we just kind of avoided that, you know, like we thought it was going to happen and then it wasn't. So why would we go back to it? Um, But he just said, you know what? I'm not feeling that right now, but I'll pray. And so uh, we prayed for about two years and it was like a long, hard process of waiting. We had Leone in that time of praying. Um, but then one day Scott called on his way to work and was like, Hey, I feel like God just said yes. And so, um, we applied an adoption agency and, uh, we started the process of adopting Finn. Um, and we knew, we knew just from our time of praying, uh, that we wanted to adopt a child with down syndrome. So, um, we went through the national down syndrome adoption network, and then we brought Finn home about nine months after we started the process. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of what happened and how we got to this point of, um, having Finn in our family. Was he a newborn? Yes. So we actually um, connected with his first parents about a month before he was born. We were supposed to be there the night he was, you know, the day he was born, but he came early. And so we ended up being there the day after he was born. We had to, I got a text at four in the morning, like, Hey, he was born. And so we were like, ah, cause he lives like a couple States away. So we packed all of our stuff, packed our kids up and just, you know, drove, you know, several hours to go meet him. Yeah. That is, I feel like there's so many directions I could go with questions. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> I will go with, we'll, we'll go back to further to when you were pregnant. Um, first of all, that makes me, and I'm sure you've thought about this a million times. It makes me think about all those people that get that diagnosis and it could be wrong. Yeah. And how high you, as you know, I'm sure the abortion rate is um, for children with down syndrome. I mean, yeah. It's higher. And that's so scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, partially I want people to hear your story just say like, Hey, these tests can be wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, don't, wouldn't, I don't think anyone should make that choice anyway, but, uh, but, but just the fact that it could be wrong. Yeah. And like, if you're making that kind of a decision, think about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think if anything, it's just like, we, you know, mess, Science is not 100% all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one thing that it makes me think of. Yeah, Um, definitely. But, you know, number two, uh, in terms of like you feeling like God was calling you to this, and then it sounds like your husband was sort of on a different time frame. Yeah. I always like to ask people, what does it feel like to you to get a message from God? How do you get that message and know that, that it's from him and know what it is? Yeah, that's a big question. So in this instance, for me, I kind of describe it as God changed my heart in an instant, but he changed Scott's heart like slowly over time, just kind of like melted away his heart. So um, for me, what happened was I was literally in the kitchen with Rosalie. She was like, I don't know, three months old. Like she was still really little. And I was just thinking and just reflecting on you know, how I felt like God had changed our hearts and how we felt like he had prepared us um, and called us to parent a child with special needs. And then 
you know, then we found out our test results had been wrong. And so um, kind of in that moment of reflecting, I just had an idea kind of drop into my head is the only way I can think to describe it. And it was, you know, could we adopt a child with Down syndrome? And specifically, I thought about Down syndrome because um, it was a chromosomal disorder similar to what my daughter was um, supposed to have. But um, it was, I know, I knew it was more common. And so I thought, you know, maybe there's a way to adopt a child with Down syndrome. I had never heard of anybody adopting a person with a child with Down syndrome. I wasn't sure if it was even a thing you could do, but I just Googled it. Um, and the first thing that came up was the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network website. And when I opened it, I just felt like in an instant I knew. Um, and so I wouldn't say that necessarily that's what you should go on. So like, I felt like in that moment, God did reveal to me that that was what he was calling our family to. Um, but I didn't just go like sign up at adoption agency right away. Like I prayed for several weeks and, you know, really, um, you know, just talked to God and asked him like, is this like, is this something I'm just coming up with or is this something you are calling me to? And I just felt like this strong, like tug at my heart, I'd say from the Holy Spirit. And it's, what's interesting is I never wanted to have a child with special needs. Like I would say that was a huge fear for me. And so when we found out the news about Rosalie, it was so devastating because I really, it just was not anything I ever thought about or wanted for my family. It was not something that I'd ever felt called to before. And so the idea that this thing that I felt so strongly God was calling me to now and that I was actually desiring for my family now was so counter to my own natural desires that um, to me, I feel like that maybe is a bit of an indication like that God had done some transformation on my heart. Um, but, you know, I prayed for several weeks and then talked to Scott and, you know, Scott prayed for about two years before we felt like God said yes. And I think, um, you know, that was good because obviously in that time, you know, God had a plan for us to have Leone. Like, and I think there was a lot um, that we learned in that process too, of just waiting and praying and, you know, patiently pursuing God in that time. So I don't know, it's hard to say for sure, a hundred percent, like, this is how, you know, this message is from God, like X, Y, Z. Um, but, you know, for me, I think it was a desire that was different than what my own natural desire would be. It was strong and persistent. And um, it, I would say it only grew with prayer. And so those were kind of three things that I looked to, but, um, and then also scripturally, I feel like it aligned with what scripture calls us to do, which is to care for the orphan and the fatherless. So um, yeah, that's, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. I know everybody hears from God differently, uh, but it's sort of, at least for me, it's sort of like, you know, when you know, and describe, but you know, when you know, and if you're pursuing something in prayer and Bible reading, and especially with your spouse about this, like God is not going to lead you in the wrong direction. So um, that's really cool. So what are, I guess, so what are some of the things that you guys were thinking about as you were going to have your daughter and then you sort of transferred some of those thoughts to, okay, now we're adopting a child with special needs. So what are some of the I guess, concerns, maybe excitements, maybe just long-term thoughts about like, okay, here's what we have to wrap our minds around. Yeah. I think in both instances, probably the biggest thing we had to think about was just like our own long-term plans for our life. And so, um, 
you know, just considering really seriously that there was a chance that our child could be living with us for the rest of our lives and just being okay with that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we did was we watched, there's a show called Born This Way and it's like, it's like a show that follows five adults who have Down syndrome in their lives. And uh, we learned a lot through that show just about what adulthood um, and people with Down syndrome can look like. Now, of course, it's different with every single person, but, um, you know, some of those adults went and lived independently and some of them lived with their parents for a while and some of them got married and some of them started businesses. And I feel like that really opened our eyes to, okay, well, these are some of the things that, you know, this could look like. Um but I think there was definitely like a relinquishing of control because you kind of expect like, okay, if I have a child who is, um, you know, typical as they would say, then they're going to, you know, move out maybe by the time they're 20 and they might get married, they might have a job, but there's no guarantee of that. And so I think it's kind of like a false sense of security when you have a child who they would say is typical to think like things are going to go exactly how you expect it because so often it's not the case. Like your child could have an accident and not be able to move out or um, they might get sick or they just might not move out. A lot of young adults don't leave their houses, you know, their parents' homes for a long time. And so um, I think we just realized that, you know, whether we had a typical child or a child with a disability you know, God was the one ultimately in control of what their future looked like and it wasn't us. And so I think there was just like um, a point in both instances where we just had to come to peace with not being in control of what the future looked like. So just yeah. like coming to terms with the fact that, you know, no matter what our child, you know, what their diagnosis was, or if they didn't have a diagnosis, like ultimately we were not the ones in control of their future. That was God. And so we could have a totally typical child who lived with us for the rest of our lives, or we could have a child with Down syndrome who moved out and lived independently. And so just not putting our hope in, you know, what the future would hold, but just trusting that God was going to walk alongside of us and go ahead of us in it, um, I think was kind of like mentally the biggest, you know, thing we had to come to terms with and God really had to work in our hearts because we like to make plans and we like to feel like we we kind of know what the future is going to hold, but just the reality of life is that you don't. And so, um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I sort of always thought of it that way myself, um, just in thinking about this, because of course, when I was pregnant with my kids, like everyone thinks about the possibility and we got that test to find out the gender as well. Um, although I was, I did have it in my mind, like that, that was a possibility and we just wanted to know for preparation's sake, really. Yeah. Um, we were like, well, you know, it, we know early then we can mentally prepare and that kind of a thing. But, um, uh, so I just lost my train of thought because my daughter, um, so, um, I guess, um, what I'm getting to is, um, let's talk about, you know, after you contacted the adoption agency and you're sort of in the process, did you ever have a moment where you were hesitant or was it always like full steam ahead? Yeah. So, um, This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? 
no matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. It's interesting. So when you are doing a like domestic private adoption, the way it works is you get presented with situation. So they'll send you like a little write up that says, you know, there's a baby, it's due this day or it's already been born. And in the case when you're adopting a child with Down syndrome, it'll say like there's a known heart defect or um, they're expected to need this surgery or that surgery or, you know, it gives you like a kind of like a list of their um, their medical history and then it'll tell you stuff like how open of an adoption the family wants. Like it just gives you as much detail as they can and then you get to decide yes or no whether you want to present your profile um, to be considered to be the adoptive parents of this child. And so when we first went active, so became like available to be considered by families. We didn't hear any situations for about six weeks. Like it was very um, quiet and we were kind of like a little bit antsy, like, okay, are we going to hear anything? Um, And then in the same week and a half, there were six situations that came up at the same time. And so um, my husband, I looked at all of them and um, there were certain things that would like to us felt kind of scary in the moment, like things like a heart defect or just different things with like medical insurance and trying to figure that out. Um, But we just kind of felt like, you know what, we prayed for two years and we felt like a very definite yes from God. And so we just are going to trust that he already has us all planned out and we're just going to move forward and say yes to all of them. And so that's what we did. I mean, we prayed about it, but we just felt like, you know what, God's in control. We're just, you know, we feel called to this. So we're just going to go ahead and put ourselves forward for all of them and just kind of see what he has in store. And so, um, so yeah, that's what we did. And I'm trying, oh, if we felt hesitant. So yeah, I'd say like in the end, like momentarily felt hesitant, but then we thought back to kind of everything God had already done up to that point and just felt like, you know what? Nope. We're just going to go for it. It was kind of our attitude. So if you, if you accepted all six of them, how did it end up coming down to the one that you ended up getting? Yeah. So it's funny the whole time, you know, we had six different um, families who were considering us and the whole time I told Scott, you know, pray for all of them, but just especially pray for this little boy named Legion. I don't know why. I just feel like that is the child God has for us. And again, I can't really explain why I felt that way. I just was very like instantly my heart felt connected to this one particular profile we read. And so he's like, okay, but don't, he's just like, you know, he's just trying to protect me. Like, don't get your hopes up. Like I'll pray extra hard, but you know, it very well may not be that family who would say yes to us or none of the families could say yes to us. So just like be prepared for that. But the way it works is all the families were reading, you know, various profiles. Usually they would have between five to 10 different family books to look through and they would get to choose who they felt was like the best fit. So in our instance, it would be 
if multiple people were going to say yes to our family, whoever said yes first, that is who um, ultimately we would be matched with. And so um, we did get a call one Friday night and um, it was Stephanie who leads the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network. And she said, hey, you've been matched. Congratulations. You've been matched with a family. It is Legion's family. And so um, Finn, when he was in the womb, his family had named him Legion. And so I just was like, totally blown away and so excited, but we found out we got matched with this little baby boy and he'd be born in a month. And, um, and yeah, so that, that's kind of how we got led to Finn, but that's kind of how it worked with, you know, several different, you know, situations all at once. So how early was he born? Well, he was actually due, I want to say, um, like mid November, but because he had down syndrome and he also had severe growth restriction in the womb, they were going to induce his first mom early, um, regardless. So he was going to be born, I think a couple weeks early anyway. And then he was born about a month early on top of that. So, um, he, he was 35 weeks in a few days, I want to say, um, so he was born four pounds, two ounces. He was actually much bigger than the doctors expected based on the ultrasounds. And um, he spent about three weeks in the NICU before we were able to bring him home. So were they in the same area as you so you could get there quickly? No, they live about three states away. And so, yeah, we got that text like at 4 a.m. and packed up. And then we had we had a six-hour drive, but with uh, Leone was 16 months at the time and Rosalie had just turned three. And so it took basically the whole day to get there. Um, so we drove that first day that he was born, spent the night once we got there and then got to meet him the next morning. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a lot. That's a, That would be exciting too, though, of course, like yeah. I the feeling of going in to know that you're going to meet your child that you haven't carried, but like, what was that yeah. feeling for you? Um, well, it was very exciting. I mean, so much adrenaline. We definitely went into it a little bit guarded because um, families totally have the right to change their mind and decide instead of going forward with an adoption plan that they would want to parent the child themselves. And so we tried to go into it just wanting to be a support to his first parents and to love them and, you know, ultimately whatever they decided was going to be best for them and for, um, for Finn that we were going to just like love them through that. So we didn't go into it feeling like this is a done deal. Like that was very intentional that we went in a little bit, you know, not like guarded in between us and them, but just like guarding our hearts to make sure that we weren't like so attached to him right away that, um, that we felt like he was ours before he was. And so, uh, so yeah, we were really excited. I mean, we really got to bond with his first parents because in the state where he was born, there's like a 72 hour waiting period. So um, if you're adopting a child, the first family cannot like relinquish their rights to the child um, until 72 hours had passed. And so we got to spend those 72 hours with his first mom and dad. And that was like a very sweet, precious, I would say like sacred time with them because it was this like in between time where, you know, they could choose to, to move forward and parent him if they felt like that's what they wanted to do. Um, and so we just tried to be there and, and love them through that. And ultimately they did decide to, to move forward with the adoption plan. And so we were just there and ready to, um, you know, take on his care and be with him in the NICU and, and all of that. So how old is he now? He turned one at the beginning of October. So 
I want to say he's 16 months. I did. I haven't kept up with it as well as now that he's my third kid. <laughs> oh, I know. Totally, totally get that. Um, how's he doing? He's doing really well. He had a really rough start, but um, basically since COVID started, so um, he came home from the hospital. He had three hospital stays. So he came home from his last hospital stay, uh, I want to say about a week into March. And then a week later, the world kind of shut down, at least here in America. And um, he has actually been healthy ever since then. Um, I don't know if it's because we've been pretty quarantined. And so he hasn't you know, gotten sick, but he he's doing really, really well. Well, he's definitely got quite a following on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> he does. He's so cute. Thank he's you. Adorable. Oh, that's so great. Well, um, I feel like I could ask you a million questions about that, but I um, I know that we have a limited amount of time, so I want to ask you about the book. So, so tell me about the genesis of the book, where the idea came from, have you always wanted to write, and just the story behind that. Yeah, so I have written a book called Image Bearer, and um, it is a Bible-based book that teaches uh, teaches children about disabilities and what it means to be made in the image of God. And so the idea actually came during Finn's last hospital stay. So it was probably in February. Um, and he had been, like I said, in and out of the hospital. He wasn't able to eat. He was at that point basically totally feeding tube fed. And um, he was having trouble breathing. We were kind of bouncing back and forth between hospital floors because he would improve a little bit and then get worse. And um, I didn't really see any end in sight. And I just felt like I was feeling so discouraged one night in the hospital room alone, separated from, you know, the rest of my family and kind of feeling torn into like I wanted to be there with Finn, but I also wanted to be there with um, my girls because I knew it was hard for them. And also just felt like, I don't know, just had this sense like, gosh, the world does not think Finn's life is valuable. Like just um, had some kind of frustrating things happen with uh, his his medical care. We love our doctors in hospital, but it was just hard to get him some of the tests that he needed in order to, to move forward with his care. And I just felt like, gosh, I don't think the world sees the value in his life that even though it is so very valuable. And in that moment, I felt God kind of remind me of Genesis 127, where he says that he made man and woman in his image. And, um, you know, also was thinking on uh, Psalm 139, where he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And just thinking like, you know what? The Bible teaches that all people have immeasurable worth because they are made in God's image because God created them. And I don't feel like I was ever taught that as a kid in the sense of like, as it relates to people with disabilities. You know, of course I was taught that I was made in God's image. I was taught that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, but I was never taught like how that fits in with people who have these different medical needs. And so I felt like, I feel like there needs to be a book about this that will teach kids and families that Finn's life is just as valuable as anyone else's. And he is um, made just as fearfully and just as wonderfully as anyone else, even though he has all these extra medical needs. And so um, I wrote the book right in that hospital room. I just like scribbled it down. And then pretty quickly, we started moving forward on um, actually turning it into a book because I just felt like, gosh, this is a message that needs to get out there. Um, before becoming a mom, I was a first grade teacher. And so I always loved children's books, um, read 
hundreds and hundreds of children's books. And um, I had always wanted to write a children's book just because I love them so much. But, um, you know, I had kind of given up on that idea because I didn't see any way that it was going to happen. But um, yeah, as Finn's uh, following on social media has grown and um, just that experience in the hospital, I felt like, you know what? now's the time we're just gonna we're just gonna go for it and um and make it happen so that's kind of how it came to be yeah and so i i visited the website and by the way i don't know if you saw my email but i've ordered two copies already oh, thank you <laughs> I saw it and i was just like you know i really love this so much i want to support it i know so many people who could use this book i'll probably end up ordering more but i because <laughs> i they're not even available yet right yeah yeah they're just for pre-order yes they're yeah. gonna start um I think they get printed in uh, the end of February. So they're, we're kind of at that last, uh, the piece of it before they actually get the printers. You get your box full of books. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so I was on the website and I saw you have um, a bunch of different, I say characters, but they're pretty much real people because yeah. you have profiles behind them. But so how did you go about selecting the the kids you would feature? Yeah, so most of the illustrations in the book are inspired by real kids who have disabilities or visible differences. Um, really, I just, uh, I went to Instagram and just, you know, felt like I wanted to represent lots of differences that I feel like, especially that I feel like as a kid, I never, or even as an adult, I never really learned anything about. Um, so Finn has a feeding tube. And when I found out that Finn was going to need a feeding tube, my mind was blown because I was like, I didn't realize, you know, people could have feeding tubes at home. I thought that was something that just happened in a hospital, you know? So like, I want to teach that kind of stuff, just kind of raise awareness um, for differences like that, that people may not know a lot about, but like your kid could meet someone with a feeding tube on the playground. And so just preparing our kids for those types of interactions. So um, I tried to get a wide array. So I looked up different hashtags and just looked at people who I'd already connected with on Instagram and, um, you know, just shared the idea like, hey, this is the message. The message is that every child is made in God's image um, and just ask them if it was something they would be interested in being a part of. And a lot of people were so excited to be a part of it just because I think on the one hand, parents of kids who have disabilities um, are very aware that their kids are not really represented in most children's books. You know, it's pretty rare that their kids get to see someone in a book who looks like them. And so I think that was exciting for a lot of families. But also the idea of having a resource that would equip other families to teach their kids about differences and help their kids learn that people with differences are fearfully and wonderfully made was really exciting for parents because, you know, they're used to their child kind of being left out or kids not wanting to engage with their child because they're just, um, they're just so unfamiliar with those differences. And when we're unfamiliar with something, it can feel really scary. And so, you know, the idea that there would be a book that would help equip families to prepare their kids for these like playground interactions with people who are different than them um, was really exciting for a lot of parents. So they were really uh, thrilled to participate. And I was so glad because I really wanted the, the illustrations to be based on real kids. Yes. And you know, I love it because I mentioned I have a five-year-old and kids at that age, especially, they're just so curious. They're not really judgmental. I know no. my son has a lot of questions. Like he likes to see pictures, um, he, you know, and it's like, if you're able to present those things from the start and just sort of normalize that, like everybody's different. Um, you know, just like we talk about, you know, all kinds of differences. Like we talk about racial differences. We talk about cultural differences. You know, we talk about 
people that have wheelchairs and all of these things. Um, I think that's such a great message. Um, that's why uh, I did not hesitate uh, to get a couple of <laughs> and I can't wait to share it with him because I can tell you my son is just going to absolutely love, love the book. So, oh, good. Uh, so did you, I, I noticed that I couldn't, cause I, I figured I would click, um, I don't see how that it wasn't on Amazon. So did, did you self publish or did you get it published through someone? Yeah, I went ahead and self published for a couple of reasons. Um, I wanted, I knew that first of all, like it's very difficult to get a children's book traditionally published if you're just like, you know, pitching big publishers cold. And so, um, you know, I wasn't sure if that was something I'd be able to do, but also I really had this vision of wanting to include real kids and wanting to, um, you know, kind of connect the book to the social media accounts so that families could not just read the book and like see a child in the book, but actually could follow up and then go follow them in real life and see what day-to-day -day life is like for these kids who have different disabilities or diagnoses. And so I wasn't sure if a publisher would go for that. I wasn't sure what the timeline would be. So I just said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And um, because Finn has allowed me to connect with a lot of other families in the disability community on Instagram, I felt like, you know what, we have a, a good community here to kind of come alongside and help support this book. So so yeah, I went the the self-publishing route. And so it is not on Amazon, you know, maybe someday it will be, but right now I've just got my website set up. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, I have a little bit of experience in the book world and I think that that's the right thing because you have your own audience and now it's on your own timeline and you have a lot more freedom, exactly like you said, to do what you want to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seems like, I mean, I don't know if you are a uh, marketer at heart, but, you know, it seems like you're doing a good job. I saw you were on another podcast. Um, so do you have like a plan um, for marketing or are you just sort of getting out there as you can? Yeah, I mean, I think my big plan is really to just like serve families and be a really good resource for people. So um, one thing I found, just like you were explaining, is that parents um they just know that their kids are going to ask questions or super curious. And a lot of parents are really terrified of that because they're so worried that their kid is going to be staring at someone with a disability in public or their kid's going to, you know, say something rude, not because they're trying to be rude, but because they're kids and they're trying to learn. And, you know, they don't necessarily know the perfect words to choose when they're asking questions about someone with a difference. And so um, I really want to be a resource to help parents and, you know, give parents um, the information they need to, excuse me, to navigate those types of conversations with their kids. And so, you know, what I'm trying to do on Instagram is just, you know, equip parents like, hey, this is how you can talk to your kids about differences. This is what you can do if your kid is staring at someone in public. Like these are the books that you can use at home to start having these conversations. And these are accounts that you can follow so that your kids can see people with differences. So I first and foremost just want to be a resource for people, um, especially on Instagram is the main place where I am. But um, beyond that, I'm trying to connect with some different disability ministries that serve kids with special needs within churches. And then um, also just appearing on different podcasts and just, you know, connecting with other people to, you know, try to try to spread word about the book. That's awesome. Um, do you have any specific goals with uh, just, you know, publishing or numbers or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't, it's hard to set any like really concrete goals because, you know, it's just like totally new and I don't know right. what is normal, but you know, if I could sell a thousand books this year, I'd be totally thrilled. And you know, if I don't make it, that's okay. Like I'm trying not to have my heart tied to any certain number, but <laughs> knock that out of the park. I <laughs> well, thank you. Know. you. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, okay. So I guess the last question that I'll ask you, um, on this is, you know, what do you, you've been a parent now of a child with special needs for a year about, mm -hmm. um, you know, what might you say to someone who's about to embark on that journey? Um, you know, most likely by, you know, they're having a child with special needs, but either way, like what, what words of encouragement do you have? Yeah, well, I would start out, you know, by looking to scripture and just encouraging them that their child is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, that God was not any less masterful when he created their child in her womb, that he created their child with purpose and intention. Um, and then, you know, biblically, I just really look to one of the verses that helped me the most as I was, you know, pregnant with Rosalie. And then as I've come to, you know, now adopt Finn is first Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. And it talks about how essential every single part of the body is, um, to, to make the body of Christ more whole. And, you know, just encouraging families, like your child is important. Your child matters. And like God created your child with a, you know, like a place in mind in his body. And, you know, the Bible is very clear. Like if we don't have a hand, the body's not complete. And if everyone's a hand, you know, that's not good either. Like we need all different types of people. And so just encouraging families that their child matters and their child is an important part of the body of Christ. And actually first Corinthians 12, 22 says that the parts that seem weaker are indispensable. So like, actually, if we're looking at God's heart, um, he would consider those children to be especially valuable within his kingdom. And so just those were things that I wasn't really, I didn't know about when I was um, pregnant with Rosalie, because I don't feel like growing up in the church that disability was really ever talked about. So, um, so yeah, those are just some things that I would point them to for sure. Yeah. I love that so much. It reminds me of the verse that says, you know, when we are weak, then we are strong. Totally. And that's, in regards to us personally, but like, you know, the, the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last in the kingdom of God. So mm -hmm. that's such a beautiful point to make. Um, okay, Ellie. So the last thing I'd like to ask people on the podcast, and I'm sorry for springing this on you. I should have, okay. I, I love <laughs> to ask, what have you been listening to watching on TV? Tell us something that you're loving lately. Podcast, oh yeah. Let me music, think. Books. <laughs> Is there anything that you've been really into that you could share with us? Yeah, well, I would say most of my reading these days is children's books because I spend most of my time with my kids. Um, but just, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's like so many good inclusive children's books that feature children with disabilities. And so I have been really excited about reading those with my girls and just helping them be exposed to lots and lots of differences. Um, and then as far as podcasts, uh, I listened to a podcast called the lucky few podcast, which is three moms yeah. of kids with down syndrome who just kind of sharing all different topics related to down syndrome and disability. And I started listening to them like two years before we welcomed Finn into our family. And so um, I've listened to them for a long time, but I, I, I like it because it helps me look ahead at, you know, what things are coming up with Finn and um, 
just helps me kind of be more up to date on what's going on in that community. So. Uh, very cool. Yeah. I have heard of that. And, uh, the woman who started the lucky few, uh, I think blog or Instagram, I've heard mm -hmm. her on podcast as well. So yes. very cool. Great suggestions. Well, I'm going to be linking up everything here, um, in the top and then we'll go out to the podcast tomorrow and on the web and everywhere. So, um, I'm definitely a big fan. I would love to be a big advocate for this book. So thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing Finn's story. Yeah. Thank you, Erica, so much for having me. It was so good to talk to you today. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.